was a chicken shit call. Fifteen more. Oh, come There's another penalty on Jones. Chicken shit. Chicken shit. Chicken shit. Chicken shit. Chicken shit. Chicken shit. Welcome to episode 13, 14. I'll explain in a minute. Uh, I think I like this movie, America's Least Necessary Film Criticism Podcast. I am Noah Frank. With me, as usual, is Will Vitka. And our guest this week is fellow journalist Anna Shrikanth, who brings us the based on a real story football movie, Radio, a relic of 2003, featuring Cuba Gooding Jr., Ed Harris, and Deborah Winger. Anna, um, we'll talk about the teeth in a minute. Um, I guess I guess we should just get, get it out of the way. Uh, this was originally recorded as episode 13, ran into some audio trouble, uh, mentioned that on the Twitter feed, kind of sh- shook things around a little bit. I guess this will be episode 14, technically. We'll, we'll, we'll talk it out. Um, you were cursed by God. So we, we, more like, but... we, we, we have talked through this already. Uh, hopefully it's not super obvious. Um, I feel like we still must start with the teeth, Anna. What's, what is happening with Cuba Gooding Jr.'s teeth in this film? There's always more to say about the teeth. And I, there, there's no amount of talking through it that will ever make it right. I feel like it's, it's just still, it's too much. I, I feel like somebody went out to a dollar store and was like, you know, you find the Halloween section, like, and they were like, this is it. This is going to make the film. Like, it's, it, it was, yeah, they're, they're, the, they're the fun with Billy Bob Deep. Is, is a big yeah well i was talking to a friend of mine between whenever we originally did this <laughs> and now and i was I mentioned that we did this 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 film and uh he reminded me of the line which i will uh appropriately abridge uh given given the uh progress of our times but from tropic thunder which you never go full r uh because that was kind of the whole thing was he he really dove like full into something that like probably didn't need to be portrayed quite that aggressively, especially like, I understand that it was realistic that like the man he was portraying actually had dental issues, but like, was that in any way related to the plot? Cause they didn't, it's not like they talked about the fact that like, that our, our sort of white savior coach character, like actually paid for some of his dental work and that that was part of him sort of, you know, taking yeah. care of them. They never get into that in, the, in, the, in the, like the film. They needed, they needed to say it. Um, Cause like, I, I feel like there's a lot in this film that they needed to say, or at least vaguely even attempt to hint at that they were kind of just like, we were like, maybe they'll get to it later. And then later never happened. Yeah, I actually wrote down in my notes that I'm cringing and kind of always waiting for someone to drop an N-bomb. It's just like, super awkward the entire time because i refuse to believe that those people didn't call the actual radio the n-word and well we just built up we, this weird disney-esque thing we talked about it the first time the, racism the, the, didn't exist right right there's no there's no race ever addressed in, the, in this film it is, it, it's treated that the only thing that is different about him 
is his mental acuity basically it, like there's no it's oh no no it's not that he's that he's a, a young black man at all like ever 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 looked at that way even when he like gets picked up by the cops i mean like there's the overtones of it but they never like address it specifically right. um i we we talked about this before but like the fact that they said it in the 70s instead of in the 60s when it actually happened like there there was so much is so much going out of its way to make this not about race that really begs lots of questions on, in terms of what was actually happening so uh this was based on a 1996 sports Illustrated article called someone to lean on by gary smith before we get too far down the road anna you are our guest it is your your duty uh, for subjecting us to this film to uh, provide a recap of exactly what happened in this film, a plot summary uh, for the second time. So go ahead. You should be well-versed and ready to do this this time. Uh, tell us what happened in radio. Yes. Okay. Cuba Gooding Jr. Radio. Weird teeth. Basically. <laughs> There's the film. No, I'm kidding. Um, basically, he's a disabled man um we never really address what like what exactly his disability is but we never really address a lot of things in this film and a football coach in this primarily white town seems to take him under his wing and um kind of becomes his white savior uh for the movie and we kind of see a little bit of um him being incorporated into the community and you know this leads into the the fact that in real life he's been part of that school for a very long time um but it's almost just as much about about this white savior whose name i always keep forgetting and i will forever just refer to him as white savior yeah ed, ed harris is fine also ed sure, harris you know. there we go <laughs> coach jones coach jones sure yes. i will uh any any other uh bits around the edges there and anything uh plot wise i mean that's, that, that really is roughly it the the i guess the idea with the character is that he roams around this town with a shopping cart and collects stuff that he finds interesting and the real impetus for the story to get going is that he collects a football from um, one of the high school fields after they kick it over the fence. And right. that's, that's really kind of what gets this whole thing going. Yeah. Uh, so we're a little out of order, but uh, Anna, since, uh, since you brought us this film, um, why did you think that you liked this film and what was your original experience with it? So I watched this movie as a, um, child and product of, you know, an American school system that taught me that we lived in a post-racial society where racism no longer existed and we were all friends now. And wait, wait, is that, is that not, is that not true? I mean, as far as I was <laughs> concerned, <laughs> um, I hate to break it to you. No, but, um, so I feel like that really explains a lot of why I did kind of buy into this movie as a kid. Um, but, you know, cheesy sports movies were always my family's thing, kind of met the whole dad and brother loved sports and my mom wanted drama and my sister and I just wanted somebody to fall in love somewhere, although we didn't quite get that in that this movie. Um, but 
you know, it, it does a decent job at the, at the feel good, you know, sports scenes where like they win the game and it saves the day and everybody's problems are solved because football. Yeah. I mean, it, it, right. It's, it is, it's not formulaic in terms of what happens on the field. They don't tie it to a championship in the way that, or, or a single victory in the way that, uh, you know, we're used to seeing a lot of sports movies do that and having off the field stuff translate to on the field success. And I would say it's not like a sports movie. Yeah. I mean, to its credit, it doesn't, it doesn't jam that home that, Oh, just because they had him on the sidelines that turned them into state championships. Like that's like, they could have, they could have done that if they'd wanted to, and they didn't. And like, at least, at least in that regard, that, that was, it was nice that they didn't do that. Um, low bar, but I think that is what made it different at the time, because I definitely had watched a lot of those movies where it was just about winning at the end of the day. And this was like, oh no, it's also about this, this man. And it's not about winning. It's about community. So like, that was kind of the sell there. It, this podcast is nothing if not uh, celebrating clearing low bars. So, <laughs> um, I, all right. So, so let's, let's get into this, this world a little bit. Um, what, what were, you know, we, you, you mentioned that you cannot for the life of you remember, uh, our white savior's name. Uh, so how does that impact maybe which characters you, you going back on a rewatch, uh, appreciated more, maybe, maybe didn't hold up as well. Was there, was there one that was, that stood out to you as being better this time around and maybe one that fell short? Um, yeah, I mean, so I think the first time that I watched this movie, Cuba Gooding Jr. being, you know, Cuba Gooding Jr. was definitely who in my head stuck out. I was like, this is a movie about this person. But then when I watched it, I was like, wait, this is not actually about this person. Like he has no character growth or arc he's basically just a prop for ed harris to like grow and you know show other people the way of being a better person or community um by taking care of um this man and so while i might have i mean i I was a little kind of disappointed by that but I did kind of take some time to pay some attention to the, the other characters this time around, um, including his daughter, who was, um, who I didn't realize, I, in a shows I've seen since then, including Grey's Anatomy, I've seen her in, and I really was just like kind of excited that I recognized her this time around and was intrigued by the, um, the different dynamics that, I was kind of able to look at this time instead of just the, oh, yes, good man does thing for other person. Uh, this was both uh, Will and I's first uh, run through on, on this. Um, so Will, uh, who, who maybe st- stuck out to you as, as being a good character and, and, and uh, someone who was maybe underdeveloped? Well, since I'm a glutton for punishment and since we sort of pooched the audio for the last one, I did watch it again for tonight's re-recording. I did not. Um, I, I really liked Honeycutt, the, the assistant, a lot more on second viewing. He seemed to be genuinely good-natured, whereas like the Ed Harris character, especially after you hear that story about how he didn't, <laughs> he was on this like uh, paper 
route, I guess. And he saw this kid who was, the, do you, do you remember this scene at all? Cause I had actually totally forgotten about it. Oh, just to hit his, his, like he basically the ex- explanation of why his character is so driven yeah, to, like, to help. I saw a kid stuck behind chicken wire and barbed wire underneath a house and I didn't do anything. And that's Which why I saw so the radio. It's so fucked up. It is so, so fucked up. I, I must like have totally played that in this like heartwarming yeah. moment of he's bonding with his daughter finally right. and yeah. like giving a reason for like, like hey i just wanted to tell you about this hellraiser nightmare of a childhood <laughs> i had and and it's like it's just like glossed over and but, I, I i understand why he'd want to explain that to his daughter but it's so fucked up honeycut seems like way better in comparison he's just like a dude it would have been a nice i mean you're talking about a, like this white football coach in the south like this like this like stoic you know pillar of the community like it would have been a great opportunity for him to completely break down into a puddle into a total mess yeah there's no real emotion right like like if if you had seen that if you had seen him completely fall apart like into his daughter's arms as like oh i've never seen my father like this I, I didn't understand that this was who he was and this was a thing this is a burden he carried his entire life that had clearly affected him and that was driving all like yeah you, you could have really 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 like played that up and i think it wouldn't have been over the top i think i think i think no, because, it would have been perfect it would have been really yeah good. like like they, they almost like soft pedaled it a little bit like and i don't i don't know if that was like i'm not sure it would have matched the gravity of that but that, yeah, yeah right exactly like that that would have been like the perfect time to do it because she's pissed at him for paying so much attention to radio and then you have him like actually have and not in the fucking car because that's weird but like have him escort his daughter inside and then he like falls to his knees and she's like screaming at him like why do you care so much why do you care so much and he then he breaks down and he's like things were even more fucked up when i was a kid you know like escalate the fucked up witness or explain so Will's got the remake here. No! Don't remake <laughs> this movie. I don't need to watch it again. No. <laughs> I don't ever want to re- I've already seen it twice. It's like the fucked upness is not inappropriate in that like there are some really fucked up things in that era that happened and are true in the way they treated disabled people. And so it's not a story that's like, oh, like they just made this crazy story for no reason. Like it's true. But it, like many other things in the film, is just never, like, the larger issue of how disability is treated in the country is not really addressed beyond the fact that he told more story. Yeah, it's disability plus race. You can't, well, we still can't get away from that. And, and we'll get more into, into, into the race side of it, but but in terms of the disability side of it, that you know, you, you are, it's wrapped up in this nice bow, like, oh, look, they took care of, like we solved we solved the problem we just made him we like we like brought this this man into the community it's like well that's that is that is nice for him <laughs> but like that is not how we solve like broad issues in our society also, like, like you're telling me there is one disabled person in this entire town right what do they do like chase the rest of them off or kill them like i <laughs> what right <laughs> what imagine the one who isn't radio I, like, there are non-radio <laughs> and like yeah. but it's he he is this anomaly he's treated like an anomaly the entire time where it's like well it's treated like a pet yeah or a mascot as the principal says which oh, yep. i thought was one of the more poignant lines is are you are, are you basically is is this are you treating him as a mascot for now for, that you say you that know. her character is definitely one that they did do 
some good shit with. They could have done more. Yeah, they didn't quite pay it off. Like they like they built it up to, to for her to to be a more important role, and then just she kind of disappears in the in the. She did deliver some good lines. Disappears. I mean, as like the one, honestly, the one black character that has agency and voice in that entire film, pretty much. Um, she, yeah, you know, she delivers some good zingers and lines, but like, there's kind of no larger role that she plays like within the society well that's and, the weird thing is because she could have had an impact on things well she's the principle of this right well and you know we've talked about this is based on a real story and it hues to the actual story much more closely than a lot of based on real story you know movies do we've learned that actually many of these things happened exactly sort of as is but I, I wonder if if that was, I wonder if the principal was a black woman. Like, I really wonder, like in 1960 something, when this actually happened, did they really have a black woman principal in the school? It's the 2003, like. Right, right. But, but, but I mean, that's the thing is like, right, they, they give her this agency, but then because of the fact that that we're we've erased race from this, from this as, as being a, a, an actual issue, like it almost, it almost furthers that in a bad way in terms of like oh well if if the if the principal was a black woman well then clearly like you know what i mean it, it, i think that's what it, i think it's it almost excuses yeah. the fact that we're not talking about race and we're talking about something else because i i don't know but i way of doing it they're like we have one black character and so race is not a problem right. and i'm like i'm sorry you couldn't throw two in there just for like you know i, I did find it extraordinarily strange that the basketball team has two black dudes on it <laughs> that's it well again and and the football team like we there was the one we, you, you talked about this well the first time around that there was the one the one black player that involved in sort of hazing radio yeah, in the yeah. first place like everything was done where it was like it was very like oh casually mixed race teams <laughs> it's like like this isn't like we promise this isn't about race <laughs> <I> promise <laughs> south in the 60s it has nothing to do look with a car movie, black people are too great like kid haze a disabled black kid like that's just like he, that, that would not happen <laughs> and Lyle's, but that's that's just another level of like i don't know like did anyone did anyone who knew anyone black or disabled make this film? Uh, the answer to your question is no. I, I, I knew where you're going and immediately no. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, right. It's, it's, they, they very clearly thought enough about it to put these sort of hedges in place to make it clear that that's not what they wanted you to think about, <laughs> but didn't actually think about it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It um, it's, it's so calculated and, and callous. Well, it's really kind of gross. And sort of roping that back into into the characters, you know, the, the villainous character, as much as there is one, is you know the 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 star white player's dad. And again, like it's very clear that he doesn't want radio there because he's a racist. But like they they never ever ever address it that way. Like they're they're very very like foggy about oh well we just can't have this this you know radio around and, and it's like clearly this man is racist why can't we just why can't we just allow that to be what it is like it's gotta, it's gotta be pg we need the kids in the seats uh, can't well, any inbounds. there were other films like there's so many other films that was basically the same formula but they but 
they did talk about racism. That was the whole point of those films um, at that time. It's just like in this one, they were like, well, we have this ability involved, so we can't do both. Yeah, they could, they <laughs> literally could not cross like one intersection of having yeah, like, two, like, two marginalized groups yeah. at the same time and how that might that might make things a lot worse. And like, you can have both of these things happening. Like, you just absolutely not. All right, so let's get into this uh, into this this world and this time. Um, this movie's supposed to take place in the '70s. The original story is in the '60s. What what stood out as maybe some of the most uh, of the time and, and era uh, uh, references? I, I think this is this is a good film to look at both like when it's supposed to be happening, and then like this film was made in 2003. What stood out as being extremely 2003 still uh, in terms of the way that it was made, Anna? Okay, um, so I feel like I would say nothing until you probably you mentioned it, like when it's made, which is 2003. And the most 2003 thing about it is that it fully ignores American history. It's just like, you know, civil rights didn't happen. Um, well, you know, they didn't want to deal with it very clearly. So they were like, it happened in the 1960s, the real story. And they were clearly like, we can't do that. That's too much. And so they made it in the 1970s. But, you know, in the 1970s, it's not like everything was magically that much better than the 1960s. So I would expect a lot more, you know, crude references to race like we were talking about before. Um, you know, people just being more explicitly racist. And they really just did not engage with race at all, which just very 2003. <laughs> The way that that stood out the most for me was the arrest scene because he he's he's going around and and this this cop like thinks oh clearly he's up to no good and arrests him and and I I was kind of like oh okay this is kind of contemporary like like he's mm-hmm. not clearly doing anything like wrong and and you have this cop who's jumping the gun and and then he arrests him and takes him back to the police station and then the next thing you know he's out of his cell eating sandwiches with the cops because yeah, it's a very, everything's like, fine. Like, like even before the coach gets there to like let him out, like like they they're like, oh, it's radio, everything's good, we're all fine. Like like we're the the cops in trouble for for accidentally arresting like this pillar of the community. <laughs> like like it just it went from being like almost very much actually kind of prescient and like and like very modern to being right <laughs> got it uh it's completely whitewashed this, this whole idea of of how uh you know police and communities interact i definitely forgot that scene because i mean i when i was watching it as a kid the whole weight of the police uh interaction definitely went over my head uh thanks to privilege of not being black in this country and like when I was watching it again, I was like, oh, like, are, wait, are they, are they going to do this? And then as you described, they fully did not. And it was also like a very, it's interesting. It's almost like they created this town 
remotely from like it, it's it's very pulled out of the context of anything else because even the police officer who arrested radio and is the one who like gets in trouble because he did you know he arrested radio was supposed to be a new guy so he's not from around there so that's why he doesn't know radio and that's why he arrested him not because he's white and radio is black and disabled and not none of those things it's just he's new so he doesn't know which is like right but it's but uh, it's kind of like offensively slide whistle stuff like oh now he's got to type up a report like haha he's not racist he's just new like it's, it's yeah it really it's so right because nobody in anderson south carolina on the fucking georgia border like rural south carolina which and i look this up it's actually that's the fucking town that it's it's filmed in the same yeah. town that this shit is supposed to take place in. yeah i mean like, it, right. it still looks the same that town has not changed yeah yeah and i mean like, again, we've talked about this, we talked about it in, in the first recording, but and this was based on a true story and it hues in so many ways so closely to the actual story that you kind of have to take most of the rest of the things that you don't know about as like, I think this is what they're trying to do. I think this is what, 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 they, what they wanted to do, but it's, right, it's just such a... Which it, it is a bizarre story, the, the original one. It is. I mean, the, the true story is very strange. Like it, there's no, there's no like. I know it's supposed to be sort of a feel good story, but it, but it's, it, it naturally is weird. Like you, you kind of, and that, and that was we talked about the principle. Like the principle, and and I feel like we talk about this a lot on, on this podcast. Is there's often one character who like sees the world clearly and is thought of as being insane or contradictory to like the message of the movie but like they see the world and like the principal was the one who saw it clearly like hey this is like maybe not a great idea like what is the end game here like what you know are we putting our students in danger like like yeah, those are all valid questions like is you know what wh where what are we just going to keep this man in the 11th grade forever? And I guess the answer was yes. <laughs> do, yeah. He's so insane. <laughs> like, like she, she's the voice of reason, right? And she's supposed to be, like, they kind of, she make her out to be supposed to be, like, kind of a bit of an antagonist. Like, not full on, like, the dad, the racist white dad, but, you know, at least in the sense of, you know, she was giving the voice of, uh, you know some sort of authority bureaucracy being like oh we can't do this because paperwork and you're like okay but also like points were made but that's like a great question like who is the antagonist of this film just like general adversity i mean i i think that the most clearly defined antagonist is the white player's dad who is trying to get radio kicked out but again they don't they refuse to make him racist even though he very clearly is like you refuse to to like paint him that way so, so yeah. yeah, it's more just painted like he is very focused on his son winning and it's just a competitive dad. Um, and you can tell he's racist, obviously, because, you know, he is. Um, but even the son gets a redemption arc. And I'm like, the son does get a redemption arc. Yeah, there's no way that like, OK, there's not no way. But the chances of a man like that raising a son who turned out the way the son did in the movie where he's like, at 17 suddenly like you know overcoming the racism taught to him since he was a child from his, his father i'm like all right that's a little and, I, and I, noticed, I noticed something on the second watch where the um 
during one of the key, the, the critical football games, um, radio like calls out a play from the sidelines that somehow the opposing team hears, and then the racist dad notices that and uses they that. They don't as, have headsets at that point. No, it, it makes no fucking sense. It's just why? It's, it's like, How it's loudly totally, could he get totally shoehorned in? It's just why like, is he on the sideline next to the head coach? If he wants to be on the sideline behind the players, like helping out, like I get, there's no reason, like I'm a sports writer. There's no reason for him to be there. Like it is, he is a, he is a, a not like, a, like just in terms of like game stuff, a liability. He is like a, a like a, a health liability, a, a safety liability. Like, I mean, like, what is he doing there? Like he not literally- anything to protect him no if someone gets gear. shoved into the sidelines like yeah i mean if he gets hit by a guy who's in full protective gear going you know 25 miles an hour down the fucking field he's he's dead he's mush yeah. no i mean it just i like i get it like you can make somebody a part of what's going on without just having them like literally on the coach's shoulder like it's i, I know. and again that's why honeycut is my <laughs> is my <laughs> is my my guy who did goods <laughs> he's, just, he's just an okay guy he's so blissfully just yeah okay like he's just you want a, you want a burger okay like you, want, you want some soda cool he doesn't care it, it, it that's the thing so this was directed by mike tolan who has done a bunch of sports stuff and and it you know as a sports guy like i expect this if you're a sports guy and you're doing this and we talked about gone in 60 seconds you know how like it was car porn, but not for car porn enthusiasts. Like it was, it like like it it had car stuff. But then if you were actually into cars, you were like, wait, none of these cars are real, or like this is yeah. not like this is a, not a the real thing. With Angelina Jolie, where they fucked up the stick. Yeah, I mean, like like it, this is like it's supposed to be like sports, you know, sports uh, energizing, you know, feel good stuff. But like not really if you're a sports fan, because like you, you're like, what is happening here? I, I feel and, like they didn't even need it that scene because the whole point was they were like they're losing and blaming it on radio because they're like he's a distraction and you can say that he's a distraction to the team without him randomly being on the sidelines and screaming a play which like also like did he scream the name of the play like how did he he said he said he said said reverse and somehow and somehow the quarterback reverse what reverse of the play and they're, they're calling play that they knew i mean they're calling like a re- like a reverse in football where you where you start one way and then you pitch back the other way but the point being like right and then he draws like a penalty flag and it's, it's just but like, also somehow the, co- the the quarterback on the other team heard that from the sideline i don't know man meanwhile radio is like mumbling into an actual radio <laughs> it doesn't make any sense they but just again, didn't need that scene was the thing is that they already had the whole line of it's it's, know, it's, it's just it's just white apologism like let's give the racist white guy a reason to dislike radio without saying that he's racist so right that he doesn't have to be racist right yeah that's, right because he, he, he is racist. In, interfered with the football game somehow right <laughs> anyway mike tolan uh he is better known as a producer and a director he uh directed summer catch another terrible sports film that uh <laughs> trying to talk my wife out of bringing to this podcast um he has an extensive sports history including the 30 for 30 franchise uh he was the executive producer of the last dance the michael jordan doc uh and also was the ep of one tree hill and small that show 
but is it slander for me to say that I don't I don't really know his involvement in, in other things I feel like executive producer is a role you give somebody you don't actually want to be involved with things because they make bad decisions well it has more to do with the money it means you bankrolled it more, more exactly than... so like he, he does yeah he have the talent I don't, for it I don't know but he but he was also involved in and will uh you may have forgotten this in the interim since we first recorded this, but uh, also the EP of Wild Hogs. <laughs> uh, and he was also the EP of the franchise, a season with the San Francisco Giants, which was a documentary series filmed in 2011, which featured heavily the first baseman on his way up to the big leagues, Brandon Belt, who began that year in Fresno, where I was the PR director and where I walked through the background of a shot in episode one, thereby fulfilling Gaucho Watch for episode whatever this is of this podcast. Thank you very much. I feel like I've never, besides One Tree Hill, which is is just a, a whole different genre of any kind of entertainment, um, I've never seen any of these. Is Mike Tolan supposed to be better than this? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Okay. I mean, like again, he's done mostly sports stuff, and it's mostly documentary-ish. And again, this is almost like caught how between. How was the documentary that you walked through? Was What's that? Oh, I, I think I only watched the episode that I showed up. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, baseball seasons are busy, man. <laughs> like since then, you never okay. I haven't. I. I the, many people who are sports people, if they're listening to this, will will. Uh, I feel like that's got to be the next episode. This will hurt my credibility, but I've not watched The Last Dance. I, I I know that a lot of people insist that you must watch The Last Dance. I, I just haven't. I hated Michael Jordan as a kid. I was like one of the only people in my generation who hated Michael no, Jordan I, I the whole him. way. I always hated Jordan. And it turned out I was right. Yes. <laughs> He's like an enormous prick and a huge like gambling addict. And it was just you, you and me, buddy. We knew it. Hey, it's like a disaster of a human being. And so like I... I've just had zero interest in watching 10 hours about him. Um, but yeah, so I, I couldn't tell you his on um, his more recent stuff. I, I'd watch a few hours about Larry Bird, but not Michael Jordan. I would watch a few. I'd watch a Charles Barkley documentary more than oh, I Barclay, would, would watch it. Like yeah. Barkley's like also like an asshole, but he's more interesting. He's interesting. Jordan. That's the thing. This is, like uh, how we, this is like how we grade movies. Like, yeah, it's terrible, but it's interesting. What's that? I want a Rodman documentary. Yeah, right. Uh, right. Sure. Yeah. Rod, Rodman's more interesting than Jordan, like for sure. Anna, what did you notice about the soundtrack? I think, and I think I said this before, it just it was pretty, it was pretty solidly um, you know, cheesy sports movie of this genre. You know, it took you through the those, you know, especially the game moments. You definitely have the like oh my God, like, you know, you just kind of get carried away a little bit. And I think I've always been, that's always been something that's drawn me to sports movies is they do tend to do, they, I don't know if it's that they're even doing a good job or just that sports fits so well with the soundtrack that like has this like natural climax and like exciting kind of pulls you in emotionally um, music um, behind it. So I feel like that probably played a lot of, played a big role in why I like really thought I liked this movie. Well, what'd you notice? Um, so I had totally forgotten that James Horner did the fucking score for this. I remember on first watch, I was like, this is extraordinarily boring. This is extraordinarily boring. This is very boring. And they're like, we're an American band. Like as soon as they get on the field, that's the, yes. just to, to call back to your earlier question, that's the most 2003 thing about it. 
where it's like this this very sort of subtle like brass section james horner very typical james horner stuff and then suddenly we're an american band and then people are hitting each other it's like the dumbest weirdest combination of things and i'm not sure yeah i mean it it, it had all the like classical music swells at the right moments and all that yeah. stuff i mean you know and it, it's yeah, it, it followed it followed the formula I, I think for the most part there were a couple of cues about like holidays and stuff to sort of yeah. your standard your standard fair like it's christmas just in case you didn't notice <laughs> right. you so know? It's, it's like literally your bog standard james horner score and then suddenly as soon as there's action on the field we need a licensed song quick somebody somebody throw 1500 bucks at someone right. we need this song for 30 seconds yeah, nothing else uh, really stood out. I, I don't think to me outside of outside of that. So I just run in some classic '70s things if they were so, you know, so intent on being like this is not the '60s anymore because we're not doing race. It's like give me a little, give me a little. We're an American that. band. <laughs> no, that's one. <laughs> we're not a segregated band. We're an American <laughs> band. Just, oh God. Well, uh, since we know that this actually was the 60s and not the 70s, and since we actually know what has happened, uh, they give us the good old, uh, I, I always refer to it as the Animal House clothes, even though I, like, I know that wasn't the first movie. I mean, this is probably the first movie that I remember where they're like, here's what's happening with this person in, in like modern day. But, but right, they like, they give us the, the like modern clothes. So it alters this question that we, we like to ask, which is what has happened to each of these characters in the world in the intervening years up to present day? We kind of already know. So in lieu of, of, of that question, given that we already know, Anna, what do you, what do you think about how they handled uh, showing us where these characters are? Well, I feel like first you kind of need to, I feel like you're probably best suited to do that being the most familiar with the sports history we need to recap of it because like it's so bizarre just what happens with radio himself and like there are other characters involved and different things happen with them but what the story of radio and what actually happened in this town and the years since is the most bizarre thing yeah i mean he's he until very recently he died recently uh but he was still a part of this team and what as we mentioned sort of an eternal 11th grader and like was just sort of like kept on in this suspended state of uh uh yeah like like i i I, it was like you (laughs) you want it to be a good story you want it to be but but ultimately like he is he is he is sort of a mascot for the team i mean like there's no way around it like that's sort of that's sort of what he is he's sort of a a glorified mascot for this football team it's very dehumanizing at least um the way they treated him and it's a very much they feel really good about how they've treated him because they think they've taken care of him but really they haven't given him any age like there's no there's few um, 
I think too, like there's a lot of like interviews with like the coach about what happened, like, you know, this, this whole story that came out, but I don't really know if radio was happy about this. Like, was this what radio wanted? Um, we're kind of convinced that this is what he wanted, but I don't know, like the, how they never, they could have, they never got him to graduate. So they never got him a degree. Like, I feel like you could have at least gotten a man at GED. Well, there, there was something else that was weird about that because he seems to understand how the mechanics of a radio work. There's a whole scene where he actually takes apart the radio that he gets from Honey. Yeah, Jack. he does seem and, extremely intelligent. Yeah, and so he shows it to his mom. So maybe he's like on the spectrum. And they yeah, we, 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 never, we never get a clear explanation <clears throat> of exactly what, like, like there's that, that conversation between the coach and his mother about like, but, but but we don't we don't really find out like what 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 is the, the learning disability what is the you know I, it's it's not portrayed clearly and maybe that was intentional in terms of well they didn't know how to classify it then but also like that doesn't really do us any favors as, as in terms of telling the story because right, exactly. we don't but know also, what he needs I mean if he lived into like he died recently so he lived into like the 21st century he could have they could have known by now i just i don't know how much they actually did right by him in terms of yeah figuring it's hard to gauge, out what you, you think that if if uh chuck, not chuck jones <laughs> chuck jones is an animator coach jones if coach jones had taken radio to uh, a, a doctor and they'd actually like worked with radio where would radio be today if they would actually gone through the effort of getting him the help he needed as opposed to ha ha he's a mascot mm -hmm. and i mean i don't want to speak i obviously like you know he lived this life and like maybe he was really happy and maybe this was you know the best kind of outcome that could have happened for a black disabled man born in his time um in his town but there's just a lot of questions. There's a lot of assumption because neither in the movie nor in real life did radio ever really get to speak for himself. Yeah. And I, the filmmaking decision at, at the end was super jarring to me watching just th this jump to like present day and like the coach's wife is doing a voice who is almost non-existent in the film is doing a voiceover at the end interspersed with these real footage clips and it, and it just again drove home to like why did we choose the teeth if we're not going to explain yeah it, it was actually so jarring i remember the first on the first recording before we started recording i was like was that the dude is that the actual guy like i don't yeah. know what's happening here right i mean it was it was such a i mean i understand the idea of like oh let's okay let's tie this into real life but but because they did that and then reflecting back on the other decisions that have been made throughout the film you're like oh you really missed this opportunity to tie this together and explain this and like make this make sense in some way it was it was i i that was i mean i really stood out to me as like one of the most jarring aspects of the entire film i was just like what is happening in these last 90 <laughs> seconds i feel like if you really got to praise anything it was their ability to somehow stick so closely to the most bizarre story i've ever heard and yet remove it so completely from any sense of context both at the same time <laughs> i was like yeah, there's a strange lacking of humanity to this story that's supposed to be about the humanity of people and it takes place in, in a reality to, to honest point that doesn't exist like it takes place in a world that does not exist i mean even if it had happened not in the south and not in this decade 
there's still there's still these elements of it but but it's the fact that it did happen in the south in the 60s is just so like it's insulting to the audience to like to remove all of that context and pretend like it doesn't exist which is how you know it was made for white people oh yeah this movie this movie is made by white people for white people absolutely (laughs) (laughs) oh god all right so on that note (laughs) could this movie get made again today anna dear god i hope not but somehow i'm not sure (laughs) that there isn't the ignorance and the sheer caucasity um i mean the blind side was less say caucasity yeah. <laughs> yeah, the blind side was less than 10 years ago right like the blind right? side was like i uh, i mean again the story was truly bizarre and so a lot of the parts of it that i'm like i have so many questions about are actual reality that i have questions about and so i guess they could have portrayed that in that way truly like today but god i hope not but i, I can't say that i have that much faith in hollywood well what do you think I, I don't need to see this again. No, no, I'm just asking. Do you think it could get made? No, I mean, that's why I'm saying no. Just like flat no. By the way, The Blind Set was 2009. I can't believe that was 12 years already. Oh God, it feels like yesterday. Yeah, that's, that's really crazy. Has anyone done anything since then? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? I don't know. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I bizarrely i've interviewed uh um oh my god i just blanked on his name michael lewis i've interviewed michael lewis since then um Mm. uh who also wrote moneyball um that of course was a much better movie and even if it's pretty great yeah even if it didn't hew all that much to the book either the blind side also didn't hew that much to the book but I, i forgot to mention the spoon map on ed harris's wall which i which i never got an answer to that is such a sign of a racist Spoon maps? Only racist white people have those spoon collections. Uh, okay, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what we're talking from, about. Coming from you, no, no. Those like historical spoon things? Is that what it is? Those souvenir spoon things? Oh, is that what the fuck? Is that is what that, that, what that is? Is that not what a spoon thing is? There's a, all right, so there's a spoon map that in the shape of the United States on Ed Harris's kitchen wall, and it's covered in spoons. And I have never understood what the fuck that's supposed to be. And now Anna's apparently looking it up. I, yeah. I, I don't, I, I have no idea. Like I, I, one, I didn't even notice it. And two, I don't even know what we're talking about. <laughs> I did it's, not notice it. But when you say spoon map, I immediately think of those collectible spoons I, that folding, like I'm folding up people have in like I'm rows and a box the on their wall. And, and I've I only ever seen later. it on like white people who are like at least low key racist. <laughs> well, that answers that. I just think about Soundgarden. <laughs> Spoon Man. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, any other loose ends? Uh, any other things that any other notes anybody had? Things that we that we didn't cover yet before we get to the all important final question. I mean, I just talked about the Spoon Map, so that's that's my thing. I mean, I, clearly, clearly, you've been waiting a long time to get that off your chest. <laughs> Uh, uh, Anna, anything else on your end? Oh my god! Um, no, I mean, yeah, I think I think that's about it. Yeah, I was just looking back through. I the uh, the fact that that 
that radio doesn't say a single word until 25 minutes into the film uh mm-hmm. when, when he finally says coke when they're talking about burgers and, and sodas and stuff like that's literally the the first line is during the like burger king spawn con uh uh <laughs> drop in the middle of the movie um i don't know i mean like like i feel like a lot of the a lot a lot of the tropes fit to your standard sports movie they're not necessarily better or worse in terms of the redemption arcs and the you know all that you, you mentioned the uh the son earlier i i I wish that he had been, I wish they hadn't forced the sort of redemption arc on him. I wish he had just been rebellious of his father the whole way. And then you could yeah. have, you could have seen that more like, oh, if he was always at odds with his dad, then finally that results in him standing up for radio as opposed to like. Because honestly, that makes more sense, right? right. Like a, a teenage dude fighting with his dad all the time versus like a dude who seems to be like totally on the same page as his dad until finally he's like no i will not be a racist and he's like from where right because there wasn't like a moment that would would have like switched his entire you know world view yeah Yeah, if he was if he was being rebellious the whole way then you'd be like all right sure he's you know he's you know stick sticking it in his dad's face like sure that's yeah you know Mm -hmm. all right well uh we have arrived at the finish line at at the goal line, Anna. Oh, uh, you know, punch this one home. Uh, must ask you the all important final question: Do you still like this movie? After what? After we fully spit roasted it for the last hour or so. Twice. Um, yes, this is true. Not only for the first time. Um, honestly, yeah, no, it's. I don't regret. I don't regret re- delving into it because there is just so much there, but uh, yeah, no. <laughs> uh, Will, you never had a chance to watch this in the first place. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then I watched it twice. Right. You watched See? it a second time. You liked so- it so much, you couldn't stay away. I just wanted to make sure I was up to par. Um, second impression. Uh, terrible. Just absolutely <laughs> awful. Is that any better or worse than the first impression? It's slightly better but only because i enjoyed honeycut a little bit more again that assistant coach like just a guy just trying to be a good dude didn't have this weirdo guilt thing hanging over him like coach jones honeycut's okay this movie fucking sucks don't remake it don't watch it i feel feel like sports movies just generally i i I mean, it's I was not kind even of, a sports movie. Well, but you know what I mean. I I, I grew up. I grew up the sort of the same way, you know, as you, Anna. Like I, mean, I played sports. I watched sports. It was they were a big part of my life, and and I certainly saw almost all. I'm surprised I didn't see this. I guess it was I was in college already, and so like I I you know, it came out at, at a time when I wouldn't have gone and, and watched in the theater. But like like I, I watched all the ones in high school, and and I probably would have enjoyed it more when I was younger, but. I, I'm more I'm more cynical and world wary and just yes. you know just just like critical I guess of of like what what are we really doing here um even even and we talked about this the, the first time around about about the uh there was a, a movie made of my high school <laughs> my high school football team oh. and it's really mediocre <laughs> it's re- <laughs> like it's it's not very good and like you know even and it has a better story and a more important story and and, and there's you know there's 
there's a, a real tragedy that takes place there. And, and you know, I, there was a kid who was on his way to a, a scholarship at University of Oregon who was murdered by a, a, a guy who was jealous of him basically after a pickup basketball game. And, and, and that Christ. they center, they center a lot of it around that. I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a real, a real story. And I'm glad that they chose to make that a part of it, but like the film itself is, is pretty mediocre, you know, I mean, it's just, it's not that great of a film. And like, oh, no. like it leans on all the same, you know, the same sort of tropes and, and uh, I don't know, it's, it's good to go back and watch these again and see, and see like what, what were we what were they trying to, to say with these and like what what really actually do they achieve it definitely does because like i'd be lying if i didn't like i mean i did like this movie when i first saw it because and i liked a lot of sports movies when i first saw it that i am pretty sure and a lot of similar movies that i don't think i'd buy into today because i at that time as a young kid you know just in a pretty grown up pretty privileged i fully bought into this idea of like, oh, like this greater ideal of a post-racial America and sports we can, or is an example of how we can triumph as a society and people and all of that good stuff. But So what's, what's like, what's a sports movie that we can all get behind or what would each of us say is a good sports movie to watch? Okay. Uh, do you want to feel good about yourself or bad about yourself at the end of the day? <laughs> right i i hear what else i mean i'm a baseball guy and baseball movies are tend to be you know my wheelhouse but i i will say that my my i think the best sports movie of all time because it is the most realistic even though you wouldn't expect it to be is bull durham um it really highlights the cruelty of of and and the the business of sports um and but also the romanticism of it, it it's it, it really it, it's it's the full package i really do believe it's the best sports movie of all time um and if you and it, you know I, I think we talked about this i don't remember if it was a, in this previous recording of this episode or a different episode but sugar uh is is a, a really interesting different look at, at, at baseball uh looking at a, a prospect from latin america who is trying to acclimate to the states without any institutional support which is a very real thing that happens in the minor leagues and uh and his failure to do so and, and what happens to him after that and uh, i won't give any more away than that but it's uh you know I, I i'd rather i'd rather it be real than be feel good i'd, I'd rather oh, sure yeah. I'd, ra- I'd rather actually know what's what's going on so um those those are those are my two I think uh, it's been a hot minute since I've seen it, and but I feel like it, I've seen it recently enough to say that um, Coach Carter is still still a top one for me because that was one of those that I enjoyed at the same watched at the same time of you know growing up and seeing all these other ones, but felt like it held up definitely a little better <laughs> than most of them. Well. I'm going to try to not copy you, although Bull Durham is, is definitely my number one. Uh, I'm going to say that Moneyball is worth a watch. I really, really, really like Moneyball. I think I think everybody in that is really good, and it does do a good job of portraying like the the creepiness of the money. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, I, and and so much has has followed that, and just gotten baseball has become such a like gross, you know, 
projection of that in, into the future yeah, over, it's, over it's the last 20 insane. years. I am an Oakland A's fan. And so Moneyball is like one of the only movies that actually like makes me cry. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. Uh, but I literally. It's, it's a great movie. Everybody go. go no, I, I, I mean, I literally interned for the team the year that leads into the Moneyball year. So like, oh, I'm, sure. it's, I'm, I'm way, I'm way too close to that to, oh, to provide uh, any sort of, you know, uh, uh, objective analysis. But um anna uh thank you so much for joining us is uh is there anywhere where people can get to know you see your work uh, anything you'd like to promote oh gosh um no but thank you <laughs> this has been a lot of fun fantastic we'll leave it at that uh <laughs> make sure you're following us on twitter and on instagram at like this movie hop in the conversation using the hashtag I-T-I-L-T-M, that's hashtag I-T-I-L-T-M, and we will see you back here next week. I Think I Like This Movie is created by Noah Frank and hosted by Noah Frank and Will Vitka. Editing by Will Vitka. All music on the show, unless otherwise noted, provided courtesy of the South County All-Stars. Copyright 2021. Thanks for nothing, Anna. Hey, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, I'm, te- I'm teasing, I'm teasing. I the same thing last totally time, teasing. and then I forgot, and I was like, I, I, no. <laughs>